0: chapter thirty six of supplements to the third book from the world as will and idea volume three by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter thirty six isolated remarks on the aesthetics of the plastic and pictorial arts in sculpture beauty and grace are the principal things but in painting expression passion and character predominate therefore just so much of the claims of beauty must be neglected for a perfect beauty of all forms such as sculpture demands would detract from the characteristic and weary by monotony accordingly painting may also present ugly faces and emaciated figures sculpture on the other hand demands beauty although not always perfect but throughout strength and fulness of the figures consequently a thin christ upon the cross a dying saint jerome wasted by age and disease like the masterpiece of dominicino is a proper subject for painting while on the contrary the marble figure by donatello in the gallery at florence of john the baptist reduced to skin and bone by fasting has in spite of the masterly execution a repulsive effect From this point of view sculpture seems suitable for the affirmation painting for the negation of the will to live and from this it may be explained why sculpture was the art of the ancients while painting has been the art of the christian era in connection with the exposition given in section forty five of the first volume that the discovery recognition and retention of the type of human beauty depends to a certain extent upon an anticipation of it and therefore in part has an a priori foundation i find that i have yet to bring out clearly the fact that this anticipation nevertheless requires experience by which it may be stirred up analogous to the instinct of the brutes which although guiding the action a priori yet requires determination by motives in the details of it experience and reality present to the intellect of the artist human forms which in one part or another are more or less true to nature as if it were asking for his judgment concerning them and thus after the socratic method call forth from that obscure anticipation the distinct and definite knowledge of the ideal therefore it assisted the greek sculptors very much that the climate and customs of their country gave them opportunity the whole day of seeing half-naked forms and in the gymnasium entirely naked forms in this way every limb presented its plastic significance to criticism and to comparison with the ideal which lay undeveloped in their consciousness thus they constantly exercised their judgment with regard to all forms and limbs down to their finest shades of difference and thus little by little their originally dull anticipation of the ideal of human beauty was raised to such distinct consciousness that they became capable of objectifying it in works of art in an entirely analogous manner some experience is useful and necessary to the poet for the representation of characters for although he does not work according to experience and empirical data but in accordance with the clear consciousness of the nature of humanity as he finds it within himself yet experience serves this consciousness as a pattern incites it and gives it practice accordingly his knowledge of human nature and its varieties although in the main it proceeds a priori and by anticipation yet first receives life definiteness and compass through experience but supporting ourselves upon the preceding book and chapter forty four in the following book we can go still deeper into the ground of that marvellous sense of beauty of the greeks which made them alone of all nations upon earth capable of discovering the true normal type of the human form and accordingly of setting up the pattern of beauty and grace for the imitation of all ages and we can say the same thing which if it remains unseparated from the will gives sexual instinct with its discriminating selection that is, sexual love which it is well known was subject among the greeks to great aberrations becomes if by the presence of an abnormally preponderating intellect it separates itself from the will and yet remains active the objective sense of beauty of the human form which now shows itself primarily as a critical artistic sense but can rise to the discovery and representation of the norm of all parts and proportions as was the case in phidias praxiteles scopus etc. then is fulfilled what goethe makes the artist say that i with mind divine and human hand may be able to form what with my wife as animal i can and must and again analogous to this that which in the poet if it remained unseparated from the will would give only worldly prudence becomes if it frees itself from the will by abnormal preponderance of the intellect the capacity for objective dramatic representation modern sculpture whatever it may achieve is still analogous to modern latin poetry and like this is a child of imitation sprung from reminiscences if it presumes to try to be original it at once goes astray especially upon the bad path of forming according to nature as it lies before it instead of according to the proportions of the ancients Canova, torvaldsen and many others may be compared to johannes secundus and oensis it is the same with architecture only there it is founded in the art itself the purely aesthetic part of which is of small compass and was already exhausted by the ancients therefore the modern architect can only distinguish himself in the wise application of it and he ought to know that he removes himself from good taste just so far as he departs from the style and pattern of the greeks the art of the painter considered only so far as it aims at producing the appearance of reality may ultimately be referred to the fact that he understands how to separate purely what in seeing is the mere sensation thus the affection of the retina that is the only directly given effect from its cause that is the objective external world the perception of which first rises in the understanding from this effect whereby if he has technical skill he is in a position to produce the same effect in the eye through an entirely different cause the patches of applied colour from which then in the understanding of the beholder the same perception again arises through the unavoidable reference of the effect to the ordinary cause if we consider how there lies something so entirely idiosyncratic so thoroughly original in every human countenance and that it presents a whole which can only belong to a unity consisting entirely of necessary parts by virtue of which we recognise a known individual out of so many thousands even after long years although the possible variations of human features especially of one race lie within very narrow limits we must doubt whether anything of such essential unity and such great originality could ever proceed from any other source than from the mysterious depths of the inner being of nature but from this it would follow that no artist could be capable of really reproducing the original peculiarity of a human countenance or even of composing it according to nature from recollection accordingly what he produced of this kind would always be only a half true nay perhaps an impossible composition for how should he compose an actual physiognomical unity when the principle of this unity is really unknown to him therefore in the case of every face which has merely been imagined by an artist we must doubt whether it is in fact a possible face and whether nature as the master of all masters would not show it to be a bungled production by pointing out complete contradictions in it this would of course lead to the principle that in historical paintings only portraits ought to figure which certainly would then have to be selected with the greatest care and in some degree idealized it is well known that great artists have always gladly painted from living models and introduced many portraits although as is explained in the text the real end of painting as of art in general is to make the comprehension of the platonic ideas of the nature of the world easier for us whereby we are at once thrown into the state of pure that is willless knowing yet there belongs to it besides this an independent beauty of its own which is produced by the mere harmony of the colours the pleasingness of the grouping the happy distribution of light and shade and the tone of the whole picture this accompanying subordinate kind of beauty furthers the condition of pure knowing and is in painting what the diction the metre and rhyme are in poetry both are not what is essential but what acts first and immediately I have some further evidence to give in support of my judgment given in the first volume section 50 on the inadmissibleness of allegorian painting in the borghese palace at rome there is the following picture by michelangelo caravaggio jesus as a child of about 10 years old treads upon the head of a serpent but entirely without fear and with great calmness and his mother who accompanies him remains quite as indifferent close by stands st elizabeth looking solemnly and tragically up to heaven now what could be thought of this kyriological hieroglyphic by a man who had never heard anything about the seed of the woman that should bruise the head of the serpent at florence in the library of the palace riccardi we find the following allegory upon the ceiling painted by luca giordano which is meant to signify that science frees the understanding from the bonds of ignorance The understanding is a strong man bound with cords which are just falling off a nymph holds a mirror in front of him another hands him a large detached wing above sits science on a globe and beside her with a globe in her hand the naked truth at ludwigsburg near stuttgart there is a picture which shows us time as saturn cutting off with a pair of shears the wings of cupid if this is meant to signify that when we grow old love proves unstable this no doubt has its truth the following may serve to strengthen my solution of the problem as to why laocoon does not cry out one may practically convince oneself of the faulty effect of the representation of shrieking by the works of the plastic and pictorial arts which are essentially dumb by a picture of the slaughter of the innocents by guido which is to be found in the academy of arts at bologna and in which this great artist has committed the mistake of painting six shrieking wide-open mouths let any one who wants to have this more distinct think of a pantomimic representation on the stage and in one of the scenes an urgent occasion for one of the players to shriek if now the dancer who is representing this part should express the shriek by standing for a while with his mouth wide open the loud laughter of the whole house would bear witness to the absurdity of the thing accordingly since the shrieking of laocoon had to be avoided for reasons which did not lie in the objects to be represented but in the nature of the representing art the task thus arose for the artist so to present this not shrieking as to make it plausible to us that a man in such a position should not shriek he solves his problem by representing the bite of the snake not as having already taken place nor yet as still threatening but as just happening now in the side for thereby the lower part of the body is contracted and shrieking made impossible this immediate but only subordinate reason was correctly discovered by goethe and is expounded at the end of the 11th book of his autobiography but also in the paper on leiacuan in the first part of the propylea but the ultimate primary reason which conditions this one is that which i have set forth i cannot refrain from remarking that i here stand in the same relation to goethe as with reference to the theory of colours in the collection of the duke of ademberg at brussels there is an antique head of laocoon which was found later however the head in the world-renowned group is not a restored one which follows from goethe's special table of all the restorations of this group which is given at the end of the first volume of the propylaea and is also confirmed by the fact that the head which was found later resembles that of the group very much thus we must assume that another antique repetition of the group has existed to which the aremberg head belongs in my opinion the latter excels both in beauty and expression that of the group it has the mouth decidedly wider open than in the group yet not really to the extent of shrieking End of chapter 36 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine